Hola, Joshua Smizer de Leon here, founder and host of the Basel podcast. Thanks for listening to the show where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community from La Isla to the diaspora. If you want to help us share the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here on Paseo, Boricua, and Chicago and around the world, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing helps more people find the show and will help you make sure you never miss an episode. Leaving a five-star rating and showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also give a donation by looking up the Paseo podcast on savechicagomedia.org. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Thanks for joining us today, mi gente. In today's episode, we're talking to Yari Vargas. She's the executive chef and owner of Casa Yari in Chicago. You'll remember Casa Yari being brought up a ton in past episodes when we used to ask our guests what their favorite Puerto Rican food spots are in Chicago. Um, well, in general, we asked them what their favorite Puerto Rican spots are in their hometowns. Um, of course, being based in Chicago, we talked to a lot of Chicago Boricuas. But needless to say, you know, it should come as no surprise that, of course, you know, we're going to talk about Puerto Rican food in this episode. The underlying theme in our conversation surrounds the question, is Puerto Rican food healthy? And that's a loaded question. So let me explain what I mean by that. How do we think about our food? Do we only look at it as fast food? Why do we eat the food that we eat today? Are we ignoring other parts of our ancestral history by trying to maintain what we feel is the quote unquote right way to make Puerto Rican food today? And are we challenging ourselves enough to think of different ways that elevate the way Puerto Rican cuisine is presented without losing that same great flavor? A good example is to think about all the different ways a burger is presented. Think about a burger. Just think about that for a little bit. You can get them in a car, at a fast food drive through um, or dining at a gourmet burger joint. Um, for people living in Chicago, and you can equate it to going to White Castle for a burger as opposed to going to a spot like Kuma's Corner. It's a totally different experience. They're all presented in different ways with different ingredients. So why can't we have the same outlook when it comes to Puerto Rican food? I know there are other places in the diaspora and on La Isla that have this mindset. But Yari is someone who I know is elevating Puerto Rican cuisine in practice. So we're going to hear about her journey to becoming a small business owner, what being Puerto Rican and Honduran means to her, and her Puerto Rican food recommendations for people who want to be a bit more health conscious ahead of the holiday dinner season. And stay tuned until the end, of course, because just like at the end of a lot of our episodes, I'll be sharing some of the Puerto Rico news stories on my mind that I think you should be aware of if you aren't already. I try not to get on a soapbox during that time, but sometimes I just can't help it. Uh, for people that know me or have been listening to the show, yeah, it's kind of a toss up. I'm either gonna give you some quick hit facts or I'm just like gonna go on and ramble and bloviate. So um, stay tuned to see which Joshua you get at the end when it comes to talking about Puerto Rico news. Um, okay, with all that being said, uh, let's jump into the interview with Yadi Vargas. Thank you for watching this. If you're watching this on our YouTube channel, uh, we are here for Josue. What is this? The third in-person interview we've done, right? Since the pandemic? Second. Third, third right? Third. 
Yeah, so we had Bodinkin Cakes. Oh, we did uh, Honeycomb Network. And then now, today, we're at Casa Yadi's with Yadi herself, Yadi Vargas. She's the, just a recap if people don't know what uh, Casa Yadi is. It is a Puerto Rican and Honduran restaurant. So we got a nice little fusion going on. We're in your home, your home away from home. Yeah. Uh, Yadi, uh, tell us a little about, bit about yourself. What should our audience know about you? Well, I am half Puerto Rican yeah. and half Honduran. Uh, my dad is from Honduras and my mom is from Puerto Rico. And my mom is actually from Lares, Puerto Rico. Okay. We were just celebrating not too long ago, Puerto El Grito Rico. de Lares. Um, so yeah, um, basically, you know, I grew up in, in a home where food was everything and my mom did her thing, my dad did his, and we put everything in one plate. Mm -hmm. So that's where the whole um, restaurant came about with putting everything together uh, as a fusion and it worked. Yeah, no, it definitely works. I mean, I was telling you uh, before, and it wasn't just to get free food, uh, <laughs> but I was I was telling uh, you, Yadi, that you know, my wife and I had the chance to come here uh, mm -hmm. during the pandemic. We were sitting outside in the patio space, mm -hmm. and I had one of the best hibaritos I ever had in my life. Mm -hmm. It was so so good. Awesome. Um, we're dying to come back. I know you have a brunch menu now, so we're yes. definitely gonna jump in there. Um, but even like going back to like other people I've talked to in the Puerto Rican community, past guests we've had on the show. Last season, we asked them. You know, what's your favorite spot to eat Puerto Rican food? Wherever they were at, we interview a lot of Boricuas from Chicago, okay. and they would say, oh, Casa Yadi, hands oh, down, wow. no hesitation. Wow. So I'm like, oh, we got to go to this woman's crib. We got to go to her spot and yeah. I'll check it out. So you were gracious enough for people watching us on YouTube. Uh, you're gracious, gracious enough to make us some uh, bacalaitos. Yeah, they're uh, actually vegan. Vegan bacalaitos. So tell us, okay, so what makes these vegan? What's different about these than the traditional bacalaitos? So um, bacalaito obviously is made out of flour, but you add in um, codfish, shredded, and put it in, in the batter to do the bacalaitos. But obviously because it's fish is not there's there shouldn't be no animal product when there is vegan option we use banana blossom which gives it that flakiness and it shreds up just like a bacalao and um and i add nori sheets to give the seafood flavor um so yeah that's what makes them vegan that they actually have no animal product but tastes like it does and it has a texture like it does oh my gosh yeah i was i was watching you cook in the back i was like man these kind of look like Tostones a little bit yeah. like they look they just look unique they look delicious i can't wait to try some Josue already beat me to it you can't see him he's off camera <laughs> chowing down some uh it seems like you're really intentional with the dishes that you yeah. make yeah can you tell us a little bit about that i mean i definitely want to ask you more questions deeper into yeah, the interview but yeah. tell us a little bit about why you make uh you're so intentional with healthier food options well, um, especially in the vegan community, there's a lot of soy allergies um, because, well, when you eat too much of something, well, it happens, you know, um, and some others were just born with it. You know, it is what it is. Um, but um, because of that, I've learned to kind of like maneuver certain things. So um, sauces, I do them automatically vegan and automatically soy free for that reason, because it's more easier and more practical when you're running a restaurant um, to have like 20 bottles of different kinds of sauces, like soy free this, soy that, or, you know, it doesn't make sense to do that. So um, I just by default already do soy free and by default already do it vegan. Um, if the, um, the option is with me, then I add in whatever product I need to add in to make it, you know, non-vegan. Mm -hmm. But other than that, yeah, I do it on purpose because, you know, allergies are a serious 
effect here and especially in our community we'd be surprised yeah no definitely one well, when you look at your menu it's it's interesting because there's not a lot of places that i've been to that switch up their menu almost regularly yeah i mean um i don't know how, how frequently do you switch up your menu? i do it every week okay that's a such a rapid clip yeah and so you're switching out your your menu every week and you always have a number of healthy options. Like I remember one time I came, you had keto friendly options. Yes. You mm -hmm. still have keto friendly yes, I options, do. right? Mm -hmm. So you have the vegan options. Like mm -hmm. it's just really cool. Um, so really happy that you made this for us. I mean, you gave me a Malta India for people watching. Yeah, Malta just... sponsor our podcast because we <laughs> love it. Um, um, this this takes me back to my childhood. So anytime I can like scarf down a Malta India, I yeah, always yeah, and it, it so goes well you. with bacalaita. It's just yeah. a right combination. Yes. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you a longer question so I can try one <laughs> as you answer. Um, but uh, you know, when when people um, come into Casa Yari. What can people expect when they walk through your doors? Um, I always tell people maybe what not to expect mm. in the sense of like uh, we're not a typical fast food where you're going to see a little vitrinita with the, you know, sorullito alcapurias on there. Nothing wrong with that, you know, but that's not what my um, space is about. Um, it's more about um, serving more of the food that we traditionally kind of like forgot about you know um food that it's good comfort food um growing up piñon which is pastelon that a lot of people call it pastelon but in puerto rico it's piñon my mom will make that um not very often it was usually when she had a little extra money she would make it and it was like oh my god we were getting all so hyped up over a piñon, you know, but it was just one of those things. Alcapuria was something that was cheap. It was easy for a dollar. Go to the park, get it. It was one of those memories you kind of like collect, right? Um, but when I did the restaurant, I was like, you know what? I kind of want to do stuff that I actually got excited when I was a kid and um, connect with my people that way. I always say food has a way of speaking to you without language, without words. You know, um, so it was very um, important for me to make sure that that's what I bring here. Good food, quality food, fresh food, which is why I change my menu every week. So it's not like I'm going to have something old carrying it for the following week. It's not going to happen. Um, and I, I go on purpose grocery shopping. You know, I go with my partner with Hector and we actually go look at the product, smell the product, go straight to the vendors. We have, um, cause I support other local vendors as well. And we go directly to them to get the products, you know, uh, that we use here for everybody. So yeah, when you come here, you have to expect quality, good food, art, because I am obsessed with art. Um, which is why I I cook, you know, um, and I just love to put all that art all on top of that plate and have you just look at it with your eyes, eat with your eyes. And then after you eat with your eyes, devour, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I that's what I want you to expect to have a good time. Well, I just devoured that bacalito as best as I could. My wife says I chew like a cow. Um, but <laughs> and I still delicious. heard you crunch. <laughs> oh, Richie, our audio editor is gonna. But it made me feel, no, but it made me feel proud because I was like, yes, it crunch. <laughs> no, beautiful crunch. I mean, I, you almost can't tell it's vegan. No, I know um, it's crazy. I think right? I only can tell because I know it's. Yeah, you know, it's how you make it. I was like, yeah. So you touched on this a little bit though. Food industry, opening up your own restaurant. I mean, you got your Honduran identity, you got mm -hmm. your Puerto Rican identity, grew up having both 
they both traditions represented on your plate at yeah. home. Um, why did you want to bring that to, to the general public? Why enter the food industry? So um, before opening the restaurant, I actually was working in a commercial kitchen. Mm -hmm. um, and um, one of my biggest, I guess, frustration, I should say, um, when I would bring up uh, menu ideas, because we always had like to do these catering, these big old elegant caterings. Mm -hmm. um, and it was always like certain typical foods, like maybe Italian or French cooking. It was always that kind of food. Um, if they ever hit Latino, it would be Mexican, but it was more Americanized Mexican food. Um, so I was a little frustrated as a chef because it's like, well, can we cook this? Can we do that? Like, you know, I would come up with pollo en fricase and they will look at me like, oh, no, we're not putting that there. You know, like it wasn't like if the food wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. You know, like we couldn't like people, elevate it. Like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So to me, it was very frustrating. Like uh, it was, I mean, it was just too much. And that's why I was like, you know what? I really need to open a location where I can serve the food I grew up with. And I, I really had to sit there and, and think a lot of things through in the sense of like, how do I elevate it? Because we're used to going to any restaurant, um, Puerto Rican food specifically, where it's fast food, um, which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sometimes you want it, you know, something quick, easy, you go there, you know, but I wanted to shift away from that. Mm -hmm. We had too many of those here and I wanted to shift away from that. You know, yeah. I didn't want just the vitén cebollado y arroz blanco, plátano maduro. I mean, the for me, cheese. I felt like eh, something you could cook at home, mm -hmm. you know, chuleta frita, rice and beans, stuff you could cook at home. Mm -hmm. And I'm very big on go out to eat food that you can't cook at home because you're spending the money. So I was like, how do I get to that level? You know, and I had to really like dig into the culture, like big time. I had to like sit with my mom. I had to sit with my dad because again, I had to have both cultures. I had to represent. It's hard to represent one, imagine two. So, you know, I had to make sure I wasn't disrespecting one over the other or choosing more one over the other. And I had to also keep in mind that I was born and raised in Chicago. So how do I showcase all that into one? So it was a lot of sitting down, a lot of meditation, a lot of praying, a lot of like writing down. Um, oh my God, I cooked and tested product like crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but I wanted it to make it, you know, like I said, mofongo is one of them. Like, you know, I didn't want the typical bar and the caldo and the meat there and the piece of lettuce and tomato. Like that was like, you know, it's fine, but we need to shift away from that because again, that's the reason why when I was working in these companies, they didn't want those food. Mm -hmm. Because it didn't look nice. It didn't look appropriate. But the flavor was amazing. Yeah. So how do I put all that into one? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I make it look beautiful? How do I make it look, you know, yeah. and that you don't sacrifice the flavors? So I'm, I'm more of like, yeah, traditional flavors, I'm all for it. But traditional look and style, I'm against it. Like, we need to elevate. We need to evolve. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people are scared of changes. Mm -hmm. And I usually... I'm not scared of changes. I love the challenge and I take on to it. You know, yeah. that like excites me. And that's why I'm like being a chef is like the reason why, you know, it's like sure. that adrenaline. That's interesting. Um, that I was, I told you earlier that when we asked people what's their favorite Puerto Rican joint to go eat at in Chicago, 
your name comes up, but I'd say a close second is my mom's house. Not yeah. my mom specifically, but people will say like my mom's cooking. Yeah. So I, I, I really like that point you made where it's like, you want to create an experience where it's not something you can get anywhere else. Right. Like the, you want, you want, uh, you want vegan style bacalaitos. You're probably not going to get that at home. Probably yeah. a 99% chance you're not going to get that right. at home. Um, and, right. And uh, I loved your point about uh, tomates y lechuga on the side of the, the dish because I don't know why that became the go-to uh, Puerto Rican salad. <laughs> Throw some onions in there. It's like, oh, man. It wasn't, and it wasn't until – and I, you think about it like growing up in that space and that's what you're growing up eating. Yes, you put value on that and there's a connection to that. Um mm -hmm. But as you grow up, it, you're really not doing ourselves many favors in how we diversify our palates and expose ourselves to new tastes, flavors. Um, and I think that plays a role in like healthy eating. So if you don't know what, I don't know, granola tastes like, and yeah. you're never around it, you yeah. would never know that it has all types of nutrients, fiber, things that you really, your body needs. Yeah. Um, so it, it creates a nice space, not only where you're creating an environment and a good twist on cultural favorites, but also exposing people to new ways of experiencing dishes they've grown up with. So yeah. it's just something I, I, I do appreciate about, about your space specifically. Um, when it came to actually opening up your business, so you were working in the food industry already. So yeah. you already had kind of a sense of how things were oh, run, yeah. you know, um, yep. you know, the number of people you need to, to make the business run. Um, can you walk us through what other steps you took to prepare yourself to open this business? Like I'm thinking, you know, like somebody that wants to open up their own business, like to mentally prepare themselves, like working with the city, your support system, like how does, how does all that work? It's, it's funny that, that I'm going to say it like this, but, <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. um, I had no business plan. Okay. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, geez. Nope, I didn't. I'm not going to lie. All I had was a menu that I sat down and did all the thinking that I had to do and, and did all the, you know, taste testing and all that. That was the best as I, I got to a business plan. Mm. I didn't have money. I had a little bit of savings and that's what I used. Um, but interesting story is that while I was working, you know, in the field for so many years, I actually, um, Hector actually had came one day to my job and he, he was, he's like, Hey, do you have a second? You should come downstairs. I want to talk to you real quick. I'm like, uh, well, I'll take my break in about five minutes. I'll be there in a minute. So, you know, whatever, five minutes came down. I, he comes and tells me, I want to open a business. Right. Mm. And I'm looking at him like, Oh, Okay, like what does that have to do with me, you know? And he said, I have an opportunity um, to start up with this amount of money, but it was a hair salon. Mm. And I looked at him like, a hair salon? Why would I want to open a hair salon? You know, I'm, I don't do hair. I don't do none of that stuff, you know? And he's like, yeah, but it's an easier way to make fast money, to do what we have to do, because opening a restaurant is very expensive, you know? And I'm looking at him like, give me time to think about it he's like i'm being serious i could go right now get the keys the the landlord is off for it and i'm like oh we'll see long story short i ended up giving in and i opened the business with him you know during that year that we opened i was still working as a chef obviously still you know doing because that was my 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 bread maker to take care of my girls um he he told me, okay, I think we should sell. I think we should be okay. I think, you know, we can move to the next step. 
And I'm looking at him like, what's the next step? He's like, what do you want to do? Which was the restaurant. And I'm like, yeah, well, I think about it. I don't know. Because I really didn't want to do no partnership or none of that stuff. You know, mm -hmm. I was like, nah, I'll see. I'll see. You know, whatever. We sold it. He took his part. I took my part. It was what it was. But then it just kept going in my mind. And I remember writing, not writing, but actually like putting these little notes together of like that menu that I mentioned, um, the hours, the name of the restaurant, how I was going to decorate it, like, a, like one of those plans, but it wasn't even typed. It was literally just scribble scrabbles you know what i mean like seriously yeah <laughs> and seriously i'm not lying to you those little pieces i just put them inside that folder like it was just one of those things um which i still carry it which i still save it which is interesting but i do it's just a reminder but um i called hector and said hey we need to sit down and talk and he's like all right so we went to go have breakfast we're talking and i told him all my business ideas or what i thought you know i'm like but i really know what i'm doing but don't know what i'm doing and he's like, well, I trust you and I believe in you. So just give me two days. Let me see if I can look for a location. He found a few to look at, but none was calling my attention. Mm. And I drove past here and I saw this. There was no for rent sign. There was no sign of anything. All that I saw was people coming in to fix. So I called Hector because he's very, you know, he'll go in there and ask. Mm -hmm. So he came and the door was open. He walks in, starts talking to the workers. The workers called the landlord and he started talking to us, showed us around. I told Hector, this is it. This is it. I, I see myself here. And then all this happened. Wow. So there was like no business plan. Like there was nothing. It was just one of those things that I just threw myself to do blindly. Then I ended up quitting my job. So I... I think quitting my job was the one that I was like, okay, I really need to get this going because how am I going to support myself or my kids or the house for that matter, you know? So, um, yeah, it was challenging. It was challenging because a lot of times I was scared, like, what the heck did I just do, you know? But I went for it. And when people tell me, you know, what advice do you give me? Go for it. Don't think about it so much. Because sometimes when you think about it too much, you won't do it. Yeah. You over you overthink yeah, it. Yeah, you won't You're do it. in your head and just... Uh. Because you'll convince yourself why you shouldn't do it right. rather than why you should do it. Mm -hmm. So I really think that it helped that I was able to kind of like, you know, and Hector's a, dar a daredevil. So he kind of like said, let's go for it. Let's do it. He never said no. So that didn't help. <laughs> you <laughs> know, so yeah, you have to have that. Corner, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was my hype man, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then later I would tell him, why would you say yes to everything I tell you? Like, you know, <laughs> but you know, I don't regret it at all. At all. I tell people this all the time. Like, I think uh, BIPOC communities, that market in general, gets done such a disservice with when wherever the powers that be are in society when they think about a product or food, you know, they they don't think about, oh, this market isn't going to gravitate towards that experience. It's just such a, like, low bar. But hearing from you, it sounds like something like is not really common growing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't, experience, I didn't know about the concept of, like intimate dinners after closing time or like having a whole space to yourself for a personal dinner until later in life. Like I didn't grow up in those spaces. Right. But I, I know I liked it as soon as I heard about it mm -hmm. and I would be down to throw some money in, in yeah. for that for that type of experience. Mm -hmm. So there's people that crave that. Yeah. And I, and especially because I am in Lowland Square mm -hmm. and, and I say Homo Park because I'm like in the, in the borderline of both. Mm -hmm. And I feel like our community deserves 
to see that our food is just as beautiful as our people. Yes. And our food keeps being ignored as a greasy bag and as a fast food. And it's like one of those things that it, it could be very aggravating and frustrating because no, we're not, you know, or, um, you know, they want to eat a lot of food and instead of smaller portions or do this or do that, it's like, it's just this big stereotype, you know, and surprisingly enough, and, and even, you know, people come here and older people, and those are the ones that always scares me, yeah. you know, <laughs> because <Yep>. <laughs> <laughs> they have their, their mindset, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, not even to go that far. My own mother, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes she'll look at me like, don't you think that's too risky? And Because she always tells me that, don't you think that's too risky? That's not how, and I'm like, mom, taste it. And then when she tastes, she goes, it tastes the same. Like, I'm like, yeah, that's the whole point, you know? Um, we can't, we have to evolve, you know? We can't, if we don't evolve, we would have been still in, in pagers and cell phone and texting, you know, hello and highs and loves and vessels. Remember yeah, on the pagers, yeah. oh, you had to put them upside down. Oh yeah, yeah. or hit the same button multiple right. times to get to yeah. the one you need. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, but we have to evolve. <laughs> yeah. So if, if that stuff evolves, why can our cuisine not evolve? Our mm-hmm. food is good enough to evolve, mm-hmm. you know? No, totally. And that, that, um, that's that's in the same type of vein as uh, conversations we've had on the show about uh, racism in produce. How a good example being, you know, we know the value of our food. We know that it can be on par oh, yeah. with a lot. We're in Logan Square. It's on par with a lot, if not better, than what you're going to get um, and what you're willing to pay for. Like avocado toast is like a big thing. People yeah. throw down big money for aguacate on some pan. It's like, what is, is this? Mm-hmm. Out, of, out of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet Latinos, Puerto Ricanos, we had those big aguacates on La Isla. Like that was just something you get. And you, it would be a fair price as soon as, I'm just going to say it, as soon as uh, white folk, affluent people hear about it, they really like that. Um, they really are into avocado. All of a sudden, that that dictates how much that aguacate is worth um and it shouldn't be that way Uh, we should be the one if that's a part of our culture mexicanos have a bunch of aguacates like if that's a part of our culture we should be dictating the value of that because if anybody knows the true value of our food and our cuisine and our culture it's us us. yeah um so it was just interesting like hearing you say like wanting to elevate it and i think there's a lot of truth to that um because we see that when we walk down the produce lines i'm hoping I am hoping uh, the powers that be, the affluent in our society, our white brothers and sisters do not get a hold of banas because I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. Because if they start replacing potato with banas, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to pay $10 for a banas. It's over. It's over. <laughs> La Convención de Cannabis de Candy, Illinois, llega pronto a Chicago los días 4 y 5 de diciembre 2021. La ciudad de Chicago abrega 44 dispensarios de cannabis. Nican se complace de traer algunos de los mejores en la industria junto en un solo lugar. No importa su nivel de experiencia, conocimiento, todos están invitados a asistir al evento, a explorar la sala de exposiciones y escuchar docenas de expertos de cannabis. Ya pronto llega Nican a Chicago. Obtenga su boleto hoy en nican.com diagonal 2021 Illinois. De nuevo, n-e-c-a-n-n.com diagonal 2021 Illinois. We're heading into holiday season. We're recording this a few weeks uh, before the holidays. Mm. But um, in a couple of weeks or a week or so, I'm trying to think when this episode airs, it's going to be Thanksgiving. 
right around the corner. We're talking Christmas or whatever other holiday uh, people listening may celebrate in that span of time. But we're essentially rocking into the holiday season. What would like be like two to three recommendations of like traditional Puerto Rican dishes with a healthier spin? So I'm I'm I always tell people I'm not really like the health healthy eating or you know expert or nothing like sure, that. Sure. <laughs> um, I love to indulge at times, and holidays is a great excuse to do what you want to do. <laughs> oh, Just yeah. make sure you work out afterwards, please. Mm, I don't um, <laughs> drink a lot of water. Oh, okay, that I do too, yeah. okay, so but you know I always say like you know um, I think. One of the biggest problem, it's the carbs, you know, um, too much of it. It's a problem, you know, um, they turn into sugar and that causes diabetes a lot in, in our community, um, high blood pressure, cholesterol, and, you know, uh, heart coronary heart disease, you know, um, and I come from family that has all that, you know, um, but I always say like, you know, if you're like, if you do your pork, I mean, they always do their pork al horno, which is good, penil al horno, you know, but maybe, um, indulge with that, but maybe do different type of sides. Like, you know, the famous potato salad that we always do instead of using potato, maybe use turnips. Turnips are lower carbs. You can actually peel those, and they, in, in Spanish, they're called nabos, and they actually get very forgotten, like ignored. People don't even know how they taste or even look like, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, one of those things is just you, you peel it, dice it up exactly like a potato, boil it just like a potato, and exactly what you put on the potato salad, you add it on that turnip. Mm. And... I mean, yeah, it's not going to taste exactly like potato, but it's going to mimic that. And, and you're going to have a healthier option with carb-free, you know, like you have no, especially if you have abuelito who has diabetes, he can have that potato salad, you know. Um, so, you know, if you're going to do, you know, the famous matacholis con la carne, la salsita, you know, with cheese. Maybe get whole wheat pasta instead. Instead of using the beef, maybe use the turkey. There's also the vegan options where you can use soy. You can do um, ground soy, put that on there. Or you could do shredded jackfruit and still do the salsita on there. You know, there's always that option as well there. Pay attention to your tomato sauce when you buy in cans. Um that there's, you know, no sugar. You don't really need the sugar in there. It's really, it's just for preservative. If you can make your own, even better. Um, but yeah, I mean, just little things. I, I always say, I, I think it's more about the sides. Make sure there's a garden salad and not lettuce and tomatoes, people. Like an actual garden salad. Like add some arugula, some spinach. Do spring mix on there. Add some, you know, sunflower seeds on there. You know, cranberry, dried cranberries in there. You know, make an actual garden salad, you know, because you eat with your eyes. And when that salad looks so colorful and you put aguacate in there, what do you think is going to happen? It's going to grab onto it and eat it. But if you just do lechuga and tomate, ain't nobody going to pick that. Because not even me. I will look at it and I'll skip it. Because there's nothing fun about iceberg lettuce and tomatoes. It's boring, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And I think the, everything you shared are very, like, attainable easy for someone that may not cook regularly mm -hmm. like it, it's very accessible the yeah. options you shared uh, especially for people that want to be a bit more health conscious around the holidays want to look out for abuelos abuelas um especially considering like puerto ricans you don't know if we're number one or we're definitely up there but highest diabetic rate um so 
we need to start getting help, help more healthier, more health conscious yeah. faster. Yeah. Um, so no, I love those examples. Mm. Definitely coming with the garden mix salad. I'm making it. Not mm. no. Yeah. Not, even some roasted vegetables. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And and sometimes we don't see that. Like sometimes you see a buffet and yeah. you see potato salad, masacholi, the rice, mm. the meat, the, the other meat, the other thing. And it's yep. like, but there's no vegetables. There's no garden salad. Right. There's no, you know, I mean, you could grab eggplant, cut it in half, take it out, stuff it, bake it in the oven, put it on, you know, different things. Because believe it or not, when I cook at home for holidays, I do those options. Mm -hmm. Everything gets gone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just our mentality as even parents, because we we're our fault. Oh, no, eso no le gusta. Él no come eso. Él no come vegetales. Mm -hmm. And it's because we're already teaching our kids yep. that, oh, you don't really eat that. You know right. what I'm saying? I, I feel like we as parents fail when we're raising our kids. They're picky eaters because it is your fault. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to hear it. They're picky eaters because it's your fault. You know, because, right. yeah. yeah, in my house, yeah. my, my every time I cook something, that garden salad was always there. Mm -hmm. And my kids always picked the garden salad, ate the whole thing before they even touch anything else. Yeah. You know, um, my I'm, mom was the same. My mom yeah. would experiment all the time yeah. in the kitchen. Um, a lot of times it was thumbs up. A lot of times mm. it was thumbs down. What were you thinking, mom, making this dish? You just kind of, you know, freestyle. You freestyle. You freestyle. You know, not it everything's happens. a bullseye. That doesn't mean it tastes bad. Right. You know, um, but I, I, it's one of the things that I felt very privileged. My mom was could throw it out in the kitchen. She could make all the classics in, in terms of Puerto Rican food. But she was never afraid to mix it up. Yeah. Do a little fusion. Get, get in some yeah. healthier options. Like. That really exposed me to worlds of vegetables, fruits, like, mm. yeah, and that, that happened at a young age. So I do think there's a lot of truth to that, you know, what we yeah. pass down to the next generation. And it's funny because my mom now, she's 67 years old mm -hmm. and she's been vegan for six months. Okay. Yeah, right. which is crazy. I'm not vegan. Um, <laughs> I say I'm a vegan enthusiast, yeah, yeah. which means that uh, most of my days I do eat vegan yeah. and I'll eat meat here and there. Nothing crazy. Um, but I love vegan food. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's cooked well, because there's some food that I'd be like, yeah, no, this is not going to work. Right. You know, it happens. Yeah. Um but my mom actually was borderline diabetes. She was, she has high blood pressure. She has cholesterol. Um, and she was borderline heart attack. You know, uh, the doctor was like, okay, we're going to give you, uh, you're going to drink a third pill for the high blood pressure. You're drinking a second pill for cholesterol and you're going to come back in three months and then we're going to check your blood work again. And she comes to me. She's like, my chest hurts so much. My back is killing me. And I'm just looking at her and I'm like, mom, you know what it is? It's that animal product. Too much of it. You got to cut it down. Yeah. That cholesterol pill, two pills. That that That's the thing. People don't understand. Doctors, when they go to school to learn, they learn medication. Correct. That's what their job is, to medicate you. They're not there to actually, it's to put a band-aid. It's not actually to cure. And and you know what I mean? So, no, it, sure. it, I mean, one of the reasons why people that drink um, high blood pressure pills cannot have grapefruit is why. The grapefruit lowers your, your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. So you can't have that while you're drinking that pill. Why do you think? So why not not drink that pill and eat the grapefruit? Right. Mm. It's an easy solution, yeah. you know, but of course the pharmaceutical world is a whole different story. Mm -hmm. And that's what I told my mom. You need to kind of like, she said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I did, um, I think it was like maybe 
man, I want to say for those two months, I did meal prep for her because she had no idea how to cook plant-based. Again, because she was used to cooking all the the -hmm. stuff that, you know, mommy, if you're making arroz con andule, you don't have to put pork in it. Our biology, we were not meant to eat meat as at as rapid of a clip as we do on a daily basis as mm-hmm. a society. Like we it was like you you like run into something you could eat that was meat every few weeks, maybe once a week if you were lucky. Yeah. And the rest was foraging. Like you're, yeah. you're eating off the land, what's growing off of the plants, it's growing the roots that are growing in the ground. Like you weren't just at the snap of a finger, you'd have some pork in front of you. Like, no, just and it was like, even doing the whole way. colonization is when we got all that chicken oh, and yeah. pork and it yes. had nothing to do with us. So when people say yes. traditional cooking, Correct. I'm like, what is traditional cooking? Amen. I mean, if you're actually going to go back, there's a lot of stuff that we did not. Yeah, you're right. Was not supposed to be eating. Pork was yeah. one of them. So when I started telling her that, she's like, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'm like, just let me. And she's like, I was, it's just because my mom is a very skinny lady. She's not even, yeah. she's not even obese or nothing. I mean, she's skinny. So, you you know, people have that stereotype that if you're big, you know, you're unhealthy. But if you're skinny, you're healthy mm-hmm. type of thing. And it's not. And she tells me that's because it's hereditary. I'm like, you know what's hereditary? The bad eating habits. Mm -hmm. That's what's hereditary. And that's the reason why we're sick in our community because we are collecting those eating habits from our parents and grandparents and tatarabuelo and, you know, for generations. Mm -hmm. And that's why it doesn't change. So she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to listen to you. She was so mad because she didn't want to do it. But she, to prove a point that it was hereditary, she said, she did it for two months. When she went back, nothing. Mm. everything was gone within 10 days that chest pain gone okay they did an ultrasound on her back um liver because they actually have found like a stain Mm -hmm. so she had to go back when she went back gone you know it was just gone everything was so she was supposed to do it only for two months and two months turned into six months and she tells me you know sometimes she's like oh i miss this obviously because you know you you had those taste buds still you know mm-hmm. so i always tell her oh well we could do an alternative of it you know and and hector's always cracking up when i say oh if you're you're craving that oh i can make that for you yeah. you know and she looks at me like okay you know he starts happy <laughs> because you know she's looking for an excuse sure. but it's not yep. gonna work because yep. i could figure it out for her yep. so but um yeah and you know my father has coronary heart disease so he actually did become about um, eight years ago. Uh, he became pescatarian. So he does eat seafood, but he does a lot of um, vegetables, um, plant-based eating. Okay. And my dad lost like over a hundred and something pounds. Um, very fit, works out, and he had that surgery. I want to say eleven years ago. Because he actually went into a surgery and he's been healthy. Like he's been on it, you know? So I do think food is power. Food is power. And it's like, how are we using that power? Do you know what I mean? So that's what I want. When I cook something that I want to elevate from both Honduras and Puerto Rico, I want it to be where when people eat it, it takes them to a memory. Because it defeats the purpose. If I'm just giving you a dish just to give it to you to eat it. You know what I mean? Um, or just to make money off of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I want to profit because I still want to stay in business. But I also want it to be memorable. So to me, I, I'm very intentional on how I am producing. How I'm elevating. Making sure that when you try that dish, it takes you back to a memory. 
doesn't matter what it is, but it takes you to a memory where it's like, you know, I remember eight years ago, I think it was a month after opening. There's this lady that, um, well, she's amazing. I love her now. She became my family, you can say right now. Um, her name is Millie. She came here to eat with her sister and her brother-in-law, right? To try out um, because Mikey O was, oh, ha yeah. yeah, Mikey O had came here the second day that we were open and I was, I was nervous because, you know, he's very honest and he don't care, you know? Mm -hmm. I was like, put oh, you in a stand-up routine. Yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> second day, he's going to come and try my food. Yeah, oh my yeah. God, this is going to be a mess, you know? But he came in um, and then, you know, he's. He loves flan and I have flan de coco. So, but he ended up loving it. So he promoted it, right? So the lady came to try the food, but she had the piñon, the pastelón, right? She comes and starts to talk to Hector because Hector was serving her. Hector goes back there and he kind of looked like he wanted to cry. Mm. And he goes, um, you need to go to table three. The lady wants to talk to you. And I looked at him and I'm like, what happened? I'm like, oh my God, I'm mortified. Like, <gasps> Oh my God, what happened, you know? And he's like, just go, just, it's nothing bad, just go. And I'm like, okay, so I go up to her. I'm like, hi, I'm the chef. She's like, very nice to meet you. So she introduced herself, her sister and her brother-in-law. And then she's like, I have a question for you. And I go, sure, you know? One of her tears comes out and she goes to me, do you have my mom cooking back there? Mm. And I was just like, um, what, what do you mean? She's like, I haven't had piñon in years since my mom passed away. And I promise you that it tastes just like hers. And look, I say it and I still get teary about it. To me, that was like the best compliment that I've received in eight years owning my restaurant to this day. So when I do these, these dishes, they're very intentional. I want to take you to that space again. I want to take you to that memory that brings that, that connection, you know? Because like I said earlier, food is power. Food is power. It speaks to you without language. Hearing you share that story, I felt that. I mean, I I can only imagine what it feels like to lose a parent. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what it feels like after losing that parent to be transported to a memory of them. Um, and if even a bite of yeah. your food can transport someone there, that's that's, am that's amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, you know, it is. It's powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't think that would be possible without the intentionality you put yeah. in your dishes. Um, and I've only been here once, but talking to you, I'm like, man, I'm getting a little teary eyed. Um, <laughs> you know, cause I do. I did too like, right now. You know, I'm telling you, I'm telling thing. you. <laughs> you're, good, you're good. But you know, when, and I think you're right. Food is power. Yeah. Um, I think you're absolutely right. It, it connects us to our ancestors, yes. um, to, to people we've never met before, people that we've known in our lives. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of power in there. Hey there. We want to take a moment to thank our partners, the Puerto Rican Cultural Center of Chicago and the Chicago Independent Media Alliance for their support. This show would not be possible without them. And shout out to our amazing podcast team. Learn more about them and the show by visiting our website, paseomedia.org. Enjoy the rest of the show. You know, I don't know if you watched the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics, but um, Jasmine Camacho Quinn brought us our second gold medal, mm -hmm. I believe, for Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. She did not have to represent Puerto Rico. Yep. She could have easily won a medal for the U.S. Yep. Um, but after she won, great accomplishment. You saw all this chatter. Is she really Puerto Rican? People mm -hmm. challenging her Boricua card. She doesn't speak Spanish fluently. Mm -hmm. She wasn't born in La Isla. 
uh, how could she possibly represent us? As if there aren't 5 million Puerto Ricans here and 3 million on the island. And as if we weren't pushed out of the island because it's just too hard mm -hmm. to live, you know, to live on La Isla. Right. It's factors out of our control. And right. even with that, we're still a part of, we're still Puerto Rican just because the land shift doesn't right. change our roots. Right. right. So, um, I mean, you're half Puerto Rican, half Honduran. You know, what does being Honduran, Puerto Rican mean to you? Well, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I was born and raised here in Chicago. Um, and my dad, my dad is from Honduras and my mom from Puerto Rico. And I was actually raised in Humboldt Park. Um, so, it, yeah, so, you know, but it actually, um, there were times that was hard because, yeah, people did pull out the, well, you're not 100% Puerto Rican, you know, mm -hmm. uh, because they knew I was Honduran or really, you don't look Puerto Rican. Right. Like, what does that mean? You don't look Puerto Rican. Right. You know, I I always got the, really, I don't think you look Puerto Rican. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, all right, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. You know, I didn't know there what was a, a way of yeah. looking, but yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but it happens where it's like you all, when you, where you should know that when you have two cultures, um, it can be hard sometimes because you might not be for me, I wasn't maybe Puerto Rican enough or I wasn't Honduran enough, you know, because I had the mix, you know? Um, but I always tell people, well, 50 plus 50 equals a hundred. So I'm a hundred percent Latina and that's what I represent being Latina, you know, um, being Puerto Rican for me and Honduran, um, it's about representing and how I'm walking and what I'm doing. You know, um, I was born and raised here, but I own a restaurant, a business that I'm showcasing both my parents' culture. And it means everything to me. It means the world to me because... I have to talk about where my mom is from. I have to talk about where my dad is from. I have that connection. Even if you try to reject it, you can't. It's in your DNA. It's in your blood. You know, um, I go to Honduras and I talk in Spanish and my cousins are laughing because you sound so Puerto Rican, you know? And then I go to Puerto Rico, you sound so Honduran. It's like, okay, I guess. But I'm speaking Spanish, so it doesn't even matter, right, yeah, at that yeah. point. But, I mean... You know, I, I can't, it's hard to put it into words, but it's just a feeling that, you know, I, I've always told people it's about representing, you know, you're representing that culture. You're representing that and the way you represent it is how you walk, how you talk, what you do, you know? Um, and like you said, she didn't have to represent Puerto Rico, but she did. So she has it in her blood. She has it in her heart. You know, um, and that's something that I always tell you. I always tell people like it, it. I don't have to be born or raised at those countries to appreciate the value of that culture, appreciate how I was raised. I was raised by a Puerto Rican woman, a strong Boricua. You know, um, I learned everything from her, from cooking, from educating, from discipline. I mean, I tell my mom all the time, I'm a great mom because you were a great mom, you know, Um she was born and raised in Puerto Rico and she's raising me. So guess what? That makes me Puerto Rican mm -hmm. because all her, her personality, all her thinking, all everything was through her culture. How she learned is how she's teaching me. Same thing goes with my father. You know, the way he learned, the way he, he did that to me as well. I mean, I was very close to my grandmother from my dad's side more than I was with my mom because my mom's side had 14 brothers and sisters. So they were like a huge family. 
So it was kind of hard for my grandparents to remember all the grandkids' name. And it was versus when my father was a smaller um, family. It was only two more siblings. Mm -hmm. So it was more smaller. So it was, and I was the first granddaughter born. So you can only imagine how spoiled I was with my grandmother. So, but that made me feel very Honduran because my grandmother, you know, Pente, vamos a hacer un pescado con coco, you know, I you know, cooking fish with coconut, you know, with the coconut milk. Or, you know, my chimichurri sauce that I learned it from her. You know, it's stuff like that. Like, I feel like you have that connection that it's hard not, it's hard to ignore it because it's just there. It's in your face. It's your everyday living, you know? So, yeah, I don't think you have to speak Spanish to be very Puerto Rican or very Honduran or being born in those places to be that, you know? It's that connection that you already have in your DNA. It's it's there, you know? It's, it's hard to put into words, but it's there. It's a feeling, you know? No, absolutely. And just even as you were talking, like I was picking up on like, oh, my, my familia does the same thing. I got mm. my mom will go through five other guys names in our family before she gets to mine. She goes, Junior, <laughs> Beto, ah, uh, uh, Joshua. I'm, like, I'm your I, first son. I'm the first, I'm the first I one. I have two kids and I go through that. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just one of those things. It's one, one of those things. things. Like, no, I don't think it was, no, it's just, yeah. like, it's just funny, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just appreciate the, the similarity. Yeah. Um, so... I would, as the last question I had, because uh, we've definitely overstayed our welcome. Um, how can people keep up with your business? What's your website? What's your social media channels? Give us everything. So my website is www.casayari.com. Um, everything is there um, from, you know, uh, menus. Um, even I have a little online store that I sell my own products. Um and uh, you can follow me on Instagram, also Casa Yari, Facebook, Casa Yari as well. Great. Okay. Yari Vargas, thank you so much for being thank on the Paseo you. Podcast. I appreciate you very much. <laughs> Loved having you on. Thank you for opening up your space. <laughs> thank you. Before I say goodbye to you all, I wanted to shout out one of our listeners and quickly share some Puerto Rican news stories on my mind that I think you should read more into. First up, shout out to longtime listener Blanca Sepulveda on uh, Facebook. She commented on our last episode where we interviewed the founders of the Honeycomb Network. She said, um, you know, such a great episode. Love this place. Thank you for sharing. Short, sweet, um, positive, just the type of, of comment we like. Of course, we love those longer comments too. You know, constructive feedback is always welcome. Um, so, you know, big shout out, big thank you. Uh, for sharing those kind words, Blanca. We really appreciate you um, and really happy to hear you enjoyed that episode. So for all you listening, feel free to share your feedback like Blanca did um, by leaving a positive comment on the show. Um, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or uh, wherever you stream your podcasts. If, if whatever you're streaming us on, if you're allowed to drop a comment, um, you know, we're not opposed to positive comments every once in a while. It really helps us uh, get the word out about the show. Other people see it. They they feel inspired to listen. So just by leaving a, a, a short or long comment on one of our episodes or on our show uh, can really go a long way to people giving us a listen. So um, to transition into some Puerto Rican news, here's a bunch of uh, news stories that are on my mind. And I, I really want to challenge you all to, to go ahead uh, and read up on on these issues, uh, read up on these stories after you're done listening to this episode, of course. 
Um, so I split them up into good news and bad news. What do you want to hear first? Okay, I'm not going to let you decide. I'm just going to start with the bad news because I want to end on a high note. I want to end on a, on a happy note because I feel like a lot of times when it comes to Puerto Rico, it's easy to get depressed. It's easy to get sad. You know, sometimes I start my day and I'm so happy to get the day started and I catch up on the news in the morning and I'm like, man, stuff sucks in Puerto Rico. But it doesn't all suck. There's a lot of good stuff happening on La Isla. There's a lot of great stuff happening in the Puerto Rican community, not only in Puerto Rico, but um, in, throughout the diaspora. So I want to make some space for that, too. But uh, let's get the bad news out of the way. And these two news stories are very much related to conversations we've had in past episodes of the show. Number one, a federal judge in New York will soon decide whether to approve the Puerto Rico debt restructuring deal which seeks to find a solution to the largest local government bankruptcy in U.S. history. If the judge decides in favor of the deal, then that will have major consequences for Puerto Rico's people and economy over the next several decades. In our last episode, we discussed this at length. For context, uh, we talked about the passage of the PC-1003 bill in Puerto Rico and what that means for education, pensions, and social services on La Isla. It's part of the larger debt restructuring bill that the Fiscal Control Board, which, uh, again, was imposed on Puerto Rico by the U.S. government. Um, the Fiscal Control Board wants this uh, bill to, to get the thumbs up because it wants uh, to, to essentially pay off vulture funds who believe uh, Puerto Rico owes them money, which um, you know really is its own can of worms that, that it's opening because you know, th there is... Uh, a very strong belief that the loans taken out for Puerto Rico on behalf of Puerto Rico were not done legally. What makes this story even shadier is the fact that calls for Puerto Rico's debt to be audited have been refused. So it's like getting a bill for something, right? Where, I mean, most of us are, are used to getting a bill in the mail, our name's on it, we regret opening it, no one likes a bill. But imagine getting a bill for something, but what you owe isn't explained, and any attempt you make to understand those charges go unanswered. Number two, in our episode on Luma Energy and the privatization of Puerto Rico's electrical grid, we played a clip from a congressional hearing where the CEO of Luma, Wayne Stensby, was asked to disclose the salary amount for executives at Luma, including himself. Of course, he refused at the time, which is ridiculous considering his company is receiving public funds and as a result, that information should be public. Well, a court felt the same way and ordered the, that, uh, that Luma hand over this information and other documents for the sake of transparency and how the money, which comes from the Puerto Rico government, has been uh, used and is being used to this point. So the time comes for the CEO of Luma to turn over these documents and he ends up fleeing and an arrest order is issued. He essentially avoids arrest and the company gives all types of weird excuses not to hand over these documents, like saying the CEO's phone, which would have offered critical insight into the inner conversations of the company. Uh, they said the phone was broken and no longer works. Um, so this week, Luma eventually turned in all documents and the arrest order was canceled. Keep in mind, this all comes after Luma fought in court for months to try to avoid turning in these documents. So uh, if there's nothing to hide, then it's okay to share them. If you're doing something shady, chances are you're going to try with every fiber of your being not to let that be known to the general public. Um, again, that's speculation. That's an assumption on my part, but these aren't normal things that 
that take place when you're trying to create uh, transparency and trust for what you're doing, especially what you're when what you're doing uh, is funded by uh, Puerto Rico taxpayers. So more details are uh, being revealed by the PR legislature, but this one detail or a couple details uh, actually stood out when it comes to the CEO and executive pay at Luma Energy. So get this, the Luma CEO gets paid $1.1 million annually, and that doesn't include reimbursement expenses. So it could be even more than that 1.1 mil. In total, Luma pays $3.5 million to their executives and claim the company pays that money. But again, the money the company gets is from the hardworking Puerto Ricans on the island, which equals, again, it's a lot of money, comes from the Puerto Rican government. That money that Luma Energy gets annually is $115 million annually. So to put this into context, remember that $3.5 million number in executive pay, you might think, okay, 3.5 million out of 115 million, um, you know, that, that seems like a, a bit of a drop in the bucket. Why, why should that matter? Well, on one end, it's public funds, right? So uh, you're, you're public servants at the end of the day. Uh, you're, you're not a, um, you're not a fortune 500 company that's paying your CEOs an exorbitant amount of money. You're providing a service to people. So when you're doing that, you should probably take into context the realities of the people you're servicing versus looking out for the top uh, execs and C-suite members in your organization. This shows um, the government contract that they have, the $115 million that they have, is most likely not being used very well. Uh, they're not being very good stewards. Uh, you know, I could say this a multitude of different ways, but essentially... Things aren't adding up with these numbers. Uh, and clearly, based off of that executive pay, they feel that they have enough money to handle their operating costs. Because otherwise, if you were struggling to make ends meet, why would you pay your executives that much money? Another uh, perspective on this is you could point to greed. You know, the greed of the people at the top, um, not really understanding understanding the reality of the people that they are there to serve. So. Um, I want to throw some more numbers at you. Fair warning, I'm going to throw a lot at you. Um, the increase in Puerto Rico's uh, residents' electric bills uh, has increased nearly 33% since January, with Luma proposing another increase just a few months ago to cover those unforeseen costs, or what they call unforeseen costs. The PR legislature uh, says that Luma has fewer than 500 electrical linemen compared to the approximate 1,800 who were working for the public utility before Luma took over in June. So they have enough money to pay their executives, but not enough money to pay workers. Keep in mind, average salary in Puerto Rico is 20K, $20,000, hovers around that amount. But we have enough money, but Luma has enough money, I should say, to pay their executives six figures, seven figures. And they've been experiencing, and Puerto Ricans on the island have been experiencing multiple power outages. Not people aren't answering the phones. Um, uh, power's not coming on back on for days. Um, you know, not enough workers to handle all the issues. Well, that's a perfect reason why they cut their workforce by nearly fifty percent. On top of that, forty-four percent of Puerto Rico residents live in poverty. 
So you're paying, so Luma Energy is paying their executives six and seven figure salaries while raising the cost on what I believe and what many people believe. And if you don't believe this, what is going on? That access to electricity is a human right. And we're in 2021, y'all. It's a human right, hands down. So you got 44% of the people that are living in poverty. Average salary is 20K. You cut the workforce at your company by over 50%. And you've increased the bill on Puerto Ricans uh, by double, di double digit percentage points on top of the uh, increase they already received before you took over the electrical grid. And on top of all that, those numbers at the end of the day don't really matter because the people at the top are getting paid. Um, see what I mean about bad news? It's rough. It's rough. And again, I'm getting on a soapbox here, but all this to say, you know, the Luma CEO making seven figures and other executives making six figure salaries are doing so really off the backs of hardworking people in Puerto Rico. And this is exactly the type of scenario that protesters were concerned about when the privatization plans were in the works. None of this makes sense, people. None of this makes sense. Plain and simple, this contract, this privatization contract, is just another example of the working class and working poor being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed by the affluent in society until there is nothing left. All right, that was heavy, y'all. That's the, that's the end of the bad news, I promise. Now, on to some good news. Number one for good news. As part of San Juan's re uh, reconstruction plan for years, after Hurricane Maria devastated Puerto Rico, 60 sports facilities and parks in 50 of the capital's neighborhoods will be rebuilt. FEMA's Small Projects Program will fund $2.4 million of this work. The rest will be from municipal funds. Of course, we all know this is only a fraction of the investment and in aid Puerto Rico needs in order to rebuild after Hurricane Maria and other climate disasters, but it's a, it's a step in, in the right direction. Number two. Jasmine Camacho Quinn will be the standard bearer for the Puerto Rico Games, which are set to kick off this Friday at the Toa Baja uh, Athletic Track. Much of the competitions will take place in sports facilities around Toa Baja, but um, there are events that will be taking place in other Puerto Rico municipalities. So if you're interested in watching the games, the event will be broadcast on WIPR Channel 6 and the channel's Facebook page. Last story, last uh, fun, good story uh, before I sign off with y'all. If you like Airbnb and reggaeton, then this story is right up your alley because the big boss, Daddy Yankee, uh, apologies, I don't know why I said the big boss like that, but um, Daddy Yankee is listing his home in Puerto Rico for rent on Airbnb. Guests will be able to book three different one-night stays in December for $85 per night, y'all. $85. Low, low price. That's This place is a mansion. Um, so $85, bucks, that's, that's pretty dope. Watch out for those cleaning fees, though. This is, of course, in reference to the more than 85 singles Daddy Yankee has released in his career. Booking opens on December 2nd, so just a few weeks from now. I'm definitely going to be refreshing my browser on that day like you all because I'm trying to book a stay especially for that price. Plus, the place looks dope. Um, honestly, I just want to book a spot so I can walk into his mansion and yell, welcome to the remix, um, as I'm jumping into his pool. So I'm very basic in that way. All right, that's all I have for the news today. Definitely go check out those stories, mi gente. Uh, that's our show for today. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did or didn't, let us know. Podcast at gmail.com or at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also show your support for the show by subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you stream your podcasts. Subscribing and leaving a five-star rating or whatever the highest rating is on your streaming platform really helps more people find the show. And like I mentioned before, showing some love in the comments helps too. You can also follow us on social media, including our YouTube channel. Help us get to 100 subscribers, y'all. We need your support. Our next episode is going to be a toss-up. We're either going to discuss the changing sentiment amongst young Puerto Ricans toward Puerto Rico politics and independent status for Puerto Rico, or we're going to share a panel discussion on how Puerto Ricans and the wider Latina population is presented in the media ahead of the release of the film West Side Story. Until then, as always, if you want to pitch a story idea, nominate yourself or someone else for an interview, or share a new story you'd like us to discuss in the show, visit our website, baseomedia.org, to do just that. See you in two weeks. Cuídate.